Hello, Moto America fans, and welcome to episode 77 of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. I am not Carruthers, obviously. I don't have the golden tones that he does, but uh, I'm Sean Bice, and I'm uh, Paul's sidekick, uh, both at the track and with a lot of the things we do with Moto America and, of course, on this podcast as well. So uh, I'm kicking it off, but we have uh, a really um, special guest today that is He's hugely popular, and there's a lot of a lot of good things, good questions we want to ask him. Um, and I'm going to pass it over to Paul now to give a little bit of intro because Paul, Paul, with his the breadth of uh, his experience in road racing, he's pro- he probably rem- remembers Ben when he first got involved in in uh, road racing back in the day. Is that right, Paul? Well, my memory's not that great, but I do remember Ben from. As long as I can remember, how's that? I mean, he. Uh, I'm fairly certain I've seen, uh, if not all of his victories um, in the AMA series. I've seen uh, a majority of them, including you know his first Superbike win and probably his first Formula Extreme win and his first Superstock Thousand win and and all that stuff. Um, so I, I I'm I'm pretty familiar with his career. He he had a fairly decent little career, you know. He won a couple of titles here and there. Um, but, uh, so three superbike championships, AMA superbike championships, then he departed and went overseas and won the 2009 world superbike championship in his rookie season, which is, um, I, I think people like to point to that as, uh, as, as probably the biggest thing that Ben has done because it was, I think he taught, he caught everybody by surprise. And, and I think people quickly realized that, uh, that the AMA Superbike Series had some pretty damn good riders because he went over there and basically kicked their ass. So um, that was kind of cool. Um, I was actually there on a sad day for for Ben and for for all of us who were there when he. Um, I want to say it was 2013 um, at the Indy Moto GP. He got thrown off the the Ducati that he was riding, landed again on the bad shoulder, and and. And I remember going to his motorhome. His his mom Mary had us all go to his motorhome for kind of like an almost impromptu little press conference, so that he'd only have to talk at once instead of you know fifty times. Uh, so we all kind of scrummed over there and and went into his motorhome, and he was he was laying on his back on the on the uh, on the motorhome couch, and he had ice on his shoulder, and it was all strapped up. And at that point in time, I don't think it was his official announcement that he was retiring, but he made it fairly clear that he was done. Um, and just looking at his face and looking at him laying there, it was, it was just one of those things when I walked out of the motorhome, motorhome, I'm just like, God damn, that kid, you know, he's been through a lot. He's had a crazy amount of success and it was just kind of sad to see it come to an end the way that it did. Um, so I'll never forget that day. I'll also never forget when he won his first superbike race at Fontana. Um, and I'll never forget the championship battles he had with Matt Maladin. I mean, in 2006, he won his first. Um, he won his first title by eight points over Matt. The next year, it was only one point, and then in two thousand and eight, he won his third in a row. And that season included seven straight wins, which at the time was a record, and I believe it still is. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was the real deal, and and you know his career probably ended a lot sooner than it should have because of the shoulder injuries. But you know what? You look back at it, and he he did everything the way that uh, I'm sure he wanted to do it. So let's bring Ben in and and have a chat with him. But Ben, uh, thanks for joining us today, and it's it's nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, and it's nice to 
you know, hear some of that stuff coming out, coming out from y'all. And, and uh, like I said, it's, it's good to be on. Ben, let's start out. I want to, I want to ask you about, well, I want to talk about Yamaha a little bit. Kind of, I always do this to our guests. I ask a question that's got about five answers to it, but let me, I want to ask you what your relationship is with Yamaha now. I know that you did that, the the 10th year anniversary, you got involved um, with that and uh, the 2009 season. So can you, can you talk about that relationship? And the other thing I want to ask you as a follow-up is that, that year of World Superbike, I, I, this is a weird way to ask you, but did you expect that to happen? I mean, I know what riders think and riders expect to win, but that looking back at what you did that year, it, it's just it, it seemed to come out of nowhere with with a new bike, and you know, it just was crazy. So, talk talk a little bit about that to start with, if you would, um, Yamaha, and then that year. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously going into '09, there were. Um we had tons of variables thrown at us, you know, with new, new crew, new bike, new suspension, new tires. You got to learn, you know, pretty much 80% of the tracks, um, that you're going to. So it was, uh, we knew it was going to be one of the toughest things that we had done, but coming from where we had come, you know, we'd won three titles in a row and I felt like I was on top of my game and, and just had everything together and, and me and Tom were working good together. And, and um so yeah i mean going over there honestly i would i would have been upset if we didn't win um you know we 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 wanted to do as good as we could and i knew that we were you know kind of outgunned in a lot of ways but you know in saying that yeah i mean that was our full intention was to go over there and win the first race at phillip island which didn't happen but um that was our game plan but we we knew what we were walking into um, it wasn't going to be easy. It obviously showed it wasn't easy. We had a lot of stuff out of our control that made the points gap get any, even bigger. And then, uh, you know, coming coming uh, coming out of it and being able to close all those points up, you know, it was just every weekend it was kind of racing for wins. And we didn't really have to think about so much of the championship. And we knew everybody, you know, it was such a big bonus if it happened. It was just something I was going out to to win races and then kind of the way that the season was with some of the mechanicals and Fabrizio taking me out, I just kind of had to have that approach anyway. So it was just easy in that regard. Um, but yeah, I mean, winning the title was great. And, um, it was, uh, you know, one of the, like I said, one of the biggest achievements, I mean, probably the biggest, but I, you know, don't know if it was the hardest year I ever had. Um, but like I said, it was definitely in the, in the top two or three of, of achievements in racing. And, um, and yeah, it was great. Like I said, couldn't, couldn't, uh, take it away from, from, uh, from anything back then we had just a, a great crew with Yamaha and, and just had a, you know, it was kind of a, a, um, you know, a bucket list situation on how it all went down and then, um, you know, went to GP and just all that stuff happened. And, and now working with Yamaha a little bit, doing some ambassador stuff and, uh, might go to Europe a few times and, and, uh, you know, ride with some of their guys on the, the track, some of their customer guys and stuff like that. So, you know, me and Yamaha, we've, we've had a, a long relationship. It's been good. Sometimes it's, it was a little bit rough, but you know, it's been a great manufacturer to me. And, and, uh, like I said, now we're just kind of working together on some easy stuff and, and whatever, whatever comes. Hey, Sean, we have some questions that we, we were able to get from, uh, from readers and I and and Ben just mentioned Tom Houseworth. So there's a question about Tom on here. 
we might as well throw that in. I think the best thing to do is if we just kind of piece these things in as we go. But uh, oh, sure. be, uh, Ben, one of our one of our fans wrote in and said uh, to ask you what made Tom Houseworth such a good crew chief for you. Uh, you know, me and Tom are pretty similar, um, just personalities. You know, we're kind of, I guess, a bit more introvert and don't like big groups of people. And, you know, sometimes that comes off, I think, in the wrong way. But, you know, it's just the way that we, we are and it's the way that we approach racing. And on that aspect, we completely just kind of always saw eye to eye. He was able to help me as a young racer, you know, one off season, we worked on old tires. The next off season, we worked on just complete fast laps with brand new tires in case we got hole shots. I think I was able to help him calm down a little in some of his ways. And we worked just really good together. Um, and then, like I said, no matter what bike I was on, um, whether it be the Suzuki, the Yamaha, the GP bike, you know, after you work with someone that long and you're fortunate enough to kind of build that uh, surrounding, you know, around you, it just didn't matter what bike I was on. If I told him this is what I felt, this is what I needed, he knew what I was feeling and what we had to do with the bike to change it. And it didn't matter what it was. So that's why it was so important to have Tom. I mean, he, he not only was one of the best crew chiefs, but the way that we worked together the way that we went about, you know, the race, the race approach and the strategy. And we were really methodical about that stuff. He, he always was as a crew chief. And, you know, for my age and all that stuff, I think I was really like that uh, from a young age. Like I said, sometimes it didn't, it didn't portray to the fans all that great because I wasn't, you know, the most, you know, outgoing person. But that's just, that's the way I have to be when it was racing. And that's the way he was. And we gelled. And, and you know, again, I think we worked, uh, we helped each other out some in, in areas that we needed to, and we kind of became a unit, and that's how it was. Um, so let's let's go back and talk about AMA Super Bike a little bit and how you you kind of came up through the ranks, started out at a young age, and you really caught fire as you went along. Um, certainly, when you were with Yoshimura Suzuki, that the three championships that you had against some obviously stiff competition, including your teammate. Um, that, was a, that was a pretty amazing era for Yosh. You guys were winning pretty much everything. Uh, did he, was each year, how, did, how was each year? Did it feel like a continuation of your success or were there struggles that maybe we didn't know about that resulted, still resulted in championships over that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, the Yosh years were probably my favorite years you know racing just because i i could hand pick my my whole crew everything we just got along together obviously me and matt <clears throat> were riding at a really high level um and we were just uh you know pushing each other to the absolute edge um and making it better and better but um but like i said those those years were um were, were really great sorry i missed it i forgot what you asked me on the on your first question no, that, that's really it. It's really trying to understand, you know, when you put together those three championships in a row, you know, I wondered if it's like, okay, we, we got that one down, but there's still challenges every year and certainly the competition yeah. we were dealing with. So were there yeah, some so, years where tougher deal? Yeah. So 06, I, I kind of would say was more of the, was actually one of the easier ones. Um, I think, you know, we did catch Matt off guard a little bit. Um, he knew I was coming, you know, he, he knew back in 03 and some of the games that he's tried to start playing in the team and I knew it, he knew it. 
And, you know, it really, you know, I just think that the change that I made from 05 to 06 is kind of like what we saw Garrett do in the middle of this year. And I really just was able to, to get the rest out of the bike. I, I showed up in 06 extremely fit, ready to go. I know he wasn't where he was kind of at the end of the year in 07. So honestly, 06 was a bit easier in that regard, but I did, you know, I broke my hand uh, at, um, at Virginia on Saturday um, in qualifying. And that's what made 06 hard because I had to race that next day um, you know, with the broke hand, finished second and one, fourth and the other. And then two weeks later, we had to go to Atlanta and finish out, you know, the season, um, you know, and then go to go to Ohio and win it. So I had to race four races, two weekends with a broken throttle hand. And that really, you know, that kind of closed the gap up a little bit, but we knew we could manage it to the end. So that made it a little bit, uh, that was easier, but, you know, kind of the you know made it a little difficult at the end but that season as in race wins was probably the easiest 07 was the toughest uh for sure that was that was the season that when i look back probably that i'm the most proud of that i got the most out of myself um and then it came down to laguna whoever won the race won the championship so that year you know and the way it ended that was just kind of that was the most special year for me and then in in 08 um, you know, I think we had a little bit more of his number that year. And, and then, um, you know, the points kind of got spread out in Atlanta when they had a little bit, you know, they had the DQ or whatever happened. And then it was like a huge points gap. So 08 wasn't as difficult, but, um, but I mean, they were all, they were all more difficult than 09, put it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, and just as a follow-up question just just kind of to, to carry it forward a little bit and I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit here but you know I, you had to deal with obvious injury situations you mentioned your hand but you know we'll get into talking about your shoulder at some point here which compounded mm -hmm. things as you advanced in your career but did you feel like when you went to AMA to let's just say world superbike that year or even when you went to MotoGP did did the racing did the competition seem a whole lot harder with every step up or did you feel like, boy, I had as tough a situation in the AMA at, during that time period? What do you, what do you think? Yeah. So, so I, you know, Matt could ride, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, so there was, um, there was that and it was, it was tough. When I went to 09, it was the variables and some of the points gaps that had happened from, you know, Monza, from Fabrizio, from, you know, a couple, we had another DQ. So there was, that's why the points got so big. Um, but when you look at the race wins and all that stuff, I mean, the level of competition, it was deeper and it was definitely stiff, but it was not as hard to win those races as it was in AMA. That, that's just mm -hmm. a fact. Um, not saying again, you know, those guys, they're not slow by any means. And a lot has changed, you know, since then, but that year compared to race and Matt, it just wasn't as tough. So, um, there was, there was that. And I kind of had that mindset coming from AMA anyway, going to GP. You know, I would never say the level of competition surprised me. The only, you know, two people on a motorcycle, I watched Marquez a little bit, but Casey, you know, just did some stuff that blew my mind, you know, at certain times. But everybody else, honestly, I mean, yeah, really, really fast guys, top level, you know, no doubt about it. But, you know, the biggest thing with GP is I just don't feel like I ever got the most out of myself. Um, 
and I never felt 100% comfortable on those bikes. And it's just, you know, people don't understand the difference between those bikes. It's, it's huge. And, you know, I kind of grew up on the last bit of not having traction control and electronics and the bike sliding and moving around. And then, you know, you go to World Superbike and it's like Pirelli's. You're learning, you know, all the electronics are kind of ramping up at that point. And then you jump into GP and you're going back 200 cc's with max, you know, corner speed. The bikes really don't slide at all. They don't move much on entry. And it, they're just huge, huge differences. So honestly, I mean, I would say there was only two or three races in my GP career where I felt like I was able to get what I could get out of super bikes. And I felt like I was riding at that limit. The other races, I mean, I felt good. It was just one of those things I never felt like I could gel and work those bikes out um, to get the most out of them. And it's a, you know, it's a bit of my style and um, the way it is, but you know, it's, it's tough. And you see Bayless and, you know, all those people, I mean, it's, it's massive talents, but you know, those bikes are, are different. They're much different to ride. When you go, when you make the move to go to Grand Prix racing, is it, is it, is it a step up in the whole pressure of the situation as well compared to world Superbike? Uh, you know, when I was, when I was in uh 2008 time, you know, when I went into the MotoGP paddock, it was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, it's real, you know, this is MotoGP and it was with Rizla Suzuki and I, I could feel the importance of GP, but it didn't mess with me. But yes, I mean, I could feel it. But when I got to in 2010, you know, there was some pressure and hype coming because we had wanted the world title in Superbike and the American coming in. So yeah, people were expecting stuff, but honestly, it wasn't at that point from what I had kind of been through and where I was in my career, it didn't feel like a pressure step. You know, it really didn't. It was just, I knew it was going to be different and I still had a lot, a lot of learning to do. Um, and that's, that's the way I looked at it, but no, I mean, I didn't, I didn't look at it like that. The only, I'd say the difference was, is just the way the paddock is in general. It's a little colder feel, People kind of mind their own business more and they don't hang out as much as AMA Superbike and World Superbike. So in that way, it feels kind of like that. But I mean, no, I never I never looked at it like that. So this leads us into a, one of the fans had asked this question. They had a two part question. The first part was, what did you like about racing in AMA, World Superbike and MotoGP? I think you kind of answered that. And uh, that's gonna that would take a little while for you to just kind of repeat some of that. But let me ask you the second part of this person's question, which was, which series was your favorite? Um, you know, I mean, World Superbike. There, like I said, there was a it was a bucket list year of just how everything was. It was just really cool. We were able to win the title, a lot of cool stuff. But honestly, and you know, some people know this from interviews, but maybe some don't, and it could explain me a little bit more. But you know, with AMA. I loved it. I loved driving around, you know, my little cousin, we, you know, we were young, had a motorhome, cruising the country, Jamie hacking, we went everywhere together, we trained together, um, we road trip together, and that was my gig, and that's what I love to do. I hate, I hated flying. I don't know why, I'm just terrified of it. So I would never fly. So honestly, I can say that I never was gonna go to Europe until what happened in 08, and that's it. You know, when the economy collapsed, Mel Harris, you know, told me, he said, you need to get to Europe. So I call, I picked up the phone to Yamaha America and I said, hey, can y'all get me a ride over here because all this is happening? And they were just like, no, man, we got to get you to Europe. 
So I went to World Superbike. But I mean, if it was up to me, if nothing happened in 08 and, and, and all the big changes and stuff didn't happen, I never would have went to Europe. And it's not because I didn't, you know, want to, or I mean, I didn't think about it. I knew that we could be over there competitive. Um, but it's just, you know, I'm, I'm like that. And, and again, like I said, I'm more of an introvert that doesn't, you know, I'm kind of into my stuff and I love traveling. I love my motorhome, my dogs with me, um, staying inside the U S and it wasn't anything against Europe. It's just, I knew the travel schedule. I knew all the stuff that went with it. And honestly, it's just, it, it wasn't a huge goal of mine. Um, but it wasn't something I was opposed to doing if it, if it had to happen and it had to happen. You know, so we, we went over there and, and did the best we could, but no, I mean, I was, my plan was if you go back and, and listen to my interviews, I wanted to be the winningest AMA rider and beat Miguel's records and stay put. So Ben, this is, this is a perfect segue for something I, we wanted to talk to you about. Paul, I want to jump in with this a little bit because we want to talk to you about two riders. Uh, one, that's not in our series this year and moved up. But certainly want to talk about uh, Cameron Bobier, who we know you've had some involvement in and have coached him up a little bit, and you got involved in helping Garrett. Um, I want to start by asking you, you know, Cameron has has indicated that he seems like he still has a, a desire and a passion to go over to Europe, but for the time being, he's happy where he is. And he seems, he's a, he's a fairly reserved guy like you, keeps to himself a fair amount. So do you understand the mentality that he has about maybe not so fast about going over there? And conversely, the fact that you guys have gotten involved in, you know, helping Garrett Gerloff and what you did for him. Can you can you co compare and contrast that a little bit, the, the mindsets of those two riders? Yeah, I mean, both, you know, love Cameron. Well, I worked with him for a couple of years. And, and when it comes to Cameron and Garrett going to Europe, 100% both of them obviously have what it takes to go over there. I was in Cameron's ear, you know, years ago still would help him you know right now if he picked up the phone to call me and said hey you know what can you do can you help me can you make calls 100 percent would do it um and then with garrett you know he's always been quite a ways behind me but he's came up in the same organization as me in texas so i've been seeing his name a lot but we just never knew each other um that much and um it was one of those things where i've watched him you know for the last couple of years and he's been riding good but he's been riding around on a super bike well, but not fantastic. And then middle of last year, kind of, you know, the race before Laguna Seca, I could see it. I mean, he, he, he clicked and it was like me from 05 to 06. And instead of riding around on a super bike, he was pushing it to the limits, making it work like they can. And, you know, I saw that at Laguna, I was there, you know, shook his hand after the race, congratulated him. And then, uh, you know, I was going to Portugal you know, a few weeks after that. And, uh, he called me up and he just said, Hey man, you know, what are the chances of, what are you thinking about, you know, m me getting over there? And I said, if you can do it, I said, I'm telling you right now, go. I said, you have to. And I said, you're ready. And, you know, just let me know. I'll kind of, I'll help wherever I can. And, and, um, you know, he said that he wanted to do whatever it took and, and, um, you know, picked up the phones and started just kind of calling everybody and, and, um, you know, made it happen. And, and it was, uh, you know, there's a lot of people involved. I know Josh was involved with it, Josh Hayes. And I was talking with, uh, Dossily, uh, Herbie Blash. I talked with him a lot and I think he's actually one of the ones that really helped out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, we had an American that's ready to go and, uh, got over there and, and hoping that, um, you know, he can, hopefully we get to, you know, see some racing this year and, 
And, uh, but yeah, the kid's got a lot of talent, got a great mentality, you know, about it. And, uh, you know, same thing with Cam though. I mean, Cam's a bit older than him and, uh, he 100% has the talent, um, to make it and, you know, to do well over there, who knows what they can really do, um, till they get there and things shake out. But in the same time, I can understand, you know, Cam's point of view, he's a little bit older, you know, he's got a house and he's kind of got more of a family thing going on. So I get it. I mean, it's, it's, that's his choice. And, and, uh, and I respect it, you know, but if he called me up and said, Hey, I want to try to get over there next year, you know, I'll do the same thing I did for Garrett and pick up every, you know, ring everybody's doorbell and, and, uh, get them, you know, get their attention at the table and see what can happen. And, uh, that's what happened with Garrett. And luckily it worked out. And, uh, you know, now we'll just wait and see what happens. Ben, what do you think's been the big differences to why you've basically been the last guy that we've been able to put over there with some success. You know, I think Garrett gives us a lot of hope for that, but what, mm -hmm. what do you think has been the issue that's kind of had this sort of lull in, in, in Americans doing well internationally? Well, I mean, the, you know, what happened back in 08, you know, in 09, that was just out of everybody's control and it, it definitely put a, a pretty big dent in it. And then, you know, it followed up, um, with the other organization just wasn't, didn't help, um, with all that. But I mean, now that we're back to where we're at, um, you know, honestly, when I look at it and what I know from being over there and how the bikes are, if you look at all the last American racers, you know, that were kind of at that level, Hopkins, Nikki, me, um, uh, you know, Colin, I mean, everybody, everybody was on 125s and 250s. And when you're, you have to, when you're that age, when you're, when you're at that 12 years old to 15 and 16, before you get on 600s and, and 750s, and maybe you don't even get on those, you've got to be on purpose-built race bikes um, to, to get to that level, you know? And I've just kind of always said that it's the analogy of like, you know, you can take the best rider and if you've got them riding every single day on a TTR 125 with, with two other great riders, and then you give them three months or four months or, or not even that, or just a wild card. And you say, okay, now from your TTR 125, go jump on a YZ 85. I don't care who you are. You know, you don't know the limits of what a motorcycle can do. So you're not, you're not finding and you're not progressing from an early age. And that's what it is. I mean, you know, we've got to see. 125s, 250s, Moto3 bikes or Moto2 bikes blended in with what's happening so the kids can learn how high the bar can be on purpose-built race bikes. Because you can get on a superbike and do the same thing. If Garrett rides a superbike, you know, and finds that, that to that limit, he gets on a GP bike, it's got 20 more percent, 15 more percent of absolute grip and frame rigidity and more electronics. So there's, there's these steps. And again, if you're not, if you're not getting taught from a young age, you know, of what motorcycles can do and you're riding the right ones, I, I think it sets you up, you know, where you're just behind the ball for a long time and, and you've got to be, you know, on fire between 16 and 20, you know, you, you gotta be. So that's the way I look at it. So are you talking about, you know, do you, you think that a step for Moto America would be something to work towards would be having a, a Moto 3 type bike? A Moto 3 type bike or a Moto 2 type bike for sure. I don't think you have to follow the, the absolute rules of Moto 2 or Moto 3, but those chassis, 
yes. Mm -hmm. But like where Moto2, where they have the triumphs, I mean, if you wanted to say to keep the manufacturers, you know, more involved, which we need, you know, Yamaha's, Honda, Kawasaki, and Suzuki, you can run their 600s, but this is the rules for the engine. It's super stock rules, and you got to run it in a Moto2 chassis. You know, and then you right. can you can have, you know, your 14 and 15. You know, we were I was riding a TZ250 when I was 13 and 14, which is a Moto2 bike. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's what I think. And and I've kind of seen in the last 10, 10 years ish, you know, the Americans in general, it just seems like they've kind of ridden smaller bikes too long. And it can be because there's not enough teams, obviously, to do that. But, you know, when I was 17, I was riding a 200 horsepower Formula Extreme bike. And so was Nikki, so was Curtis, so was Hopkins, so was, you know, all everybody. So, you know, you got to look at what we did growing up and that's riding GP bikes. And then we were on fire breathing thousands and we were 17 and 18 years old. And that's why, I mean, we were able to go over there and do what we did. But I really think it's more based around how we rode 125s and 250s from 12 to to 15. And it doesn't have to be the two strokes, but it has to be purpose-built race bikes if you're gonna you know breed these kids to go over to europe and excel or you've got to ship them over there when they're 14 and have a whole lot of money to keep them over there that's the deal i mean right. that's that's i think that's 100 percent true you know hmm. you know we've, we've seen a couple of different pathways that some of the younger riders have taken already up through moto america even though we've only been around for six years but mm -hmm. uh you know you think about like some of you some of them have gone that KTM Cup or Junior Cup, they've gone up to Super Sport. But you take a kid like Alex Duma, who started on uh, RC Cup and then, well, became Junior Cup. But he he went to Twins Cup because of a you know it seemed like a better way for him to go. But now you know this year he's he's got on a thousand. He's going to be racing stock one thousand, and we've seen it with Ashton Yates too. Yeah, he, yeah. he kind of started. Off so do you think this idea, to your point, Ben, about these kids getting on thousands? I mean, the one thing about Ashton and Alec. Alex is their tall kids, so you know they fit the mm -hmm. bike pretty well. Um, but do you think that idea of having a pretty big carrot in front of you, as far as displacement of the bike or performance of the bike, is a good thing to really advance yourself? I mean, if you're if you're at the level of of those guys, and you know, kind of where we were when we were fourteen, you know, I, I, you can do it, you can handle it. Um, I like I said, I think actually some people they're staying on small stuff too long. You know, we're not, when I was on 15, when I was 15 years old, I was racing a 600, but I was, you know, riding track days and private days on a 750 and a 1000, you know, and, and yes, I can, I could handle it. And I've seen Rocco get on a BMW 1000 and he can handle it. But, you know, I just kind of think again, like you look at someone like Alex Dumas, if what I don't, I'm don't even a hundred percent what he's done, you know, coming up, but I know he wasn't on a 125, 250, a Moto3 or Moto2 bike. And I just, I would say as a blanket statement that someone like him, and there's obviously a couple kids in that age that if they were riding, you know, if, if they ride a Moto3 bike and a Moto2 bike, you know, for those kind of three and a half years, when they jump to that next category, they will be faster. And it's just because the bikes that they were, you know, on were just capable of, of much more corner speeds, much, you know, all that stuff. Let's talk about Joe Roberts for a minute. Uh, you know, we've seen some uh, articles and stories about with interviews about Joe and some um, writers have commented on what he did, but I didn't see any comments from you on it. And I know you pay attention to it. Um, were you surprised at what he did? And what do you think is going to, well, who knows what's going to happen with the season? It's kind of 
sad that that ended up happening, but it kind of clicked for him this year. Um, did it, do you think it clicked like it did for Garrett last year? Do you think, you know, what, what do you think of what he's doing at this point? You know, it, it's hard to say because Joe's been over there, you know, for a couple of years and I haven't been able to follow a bunch, you know, of what he's been doing and, and he hasn't been, you know, right up in the front, um, the last couple of years. So I, I, it's hard to say, but I do know he, he, there's a couple of chassis, you know, over there that maybe don't work near as good as the Calyx or, or the other one, whichever it is. And I think that could have been, you know, quite a bit of it, um, for sure. Um, but again, like I said, I don't know all the details of how, you know, he's come up in the last two or three years, but no, I did start following him, you know, kind of later on last year and saw what, you know, he turned it up to 10, you know, in testing and in the start of the year and looked fantastic. And yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of it could be, you know, Hopkins is working with him. I've messaged John quite a bit and I'd actually did message Joe, you know, during the Qatar weekend, just kind of, you know, giving him some, some support and, you know, saying good job. And, you know, so John, I think is definitely somebody good in that corner, you know, having just somebody that you can confide in or that's back in what you're saying or just agreeing with you, it's just confidence, you know, and it was a lot of what I had with Kevin. And, uh, and again, you know, it's, it'd be, it's going to be nice to see more of it um, and some consistency and all that stuff once the season, you know, comes on. But with Joe, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see. Um, but again, why, why it's clicked, you know, I just, I think it's a bit of John and I think it's a bit of the, the bike change uh, from just kind of looking at it like that. But, uh, but like I said, he's, he's looking, looking strong and hopefully we can uh, get back to racing, you know, later this year and he can uh, pick up where he left off. Speaking of the get back to racing, I mean, obviously as a former racer, how, I mean, you've, you've never had to face anything like this, but how difficult must it be for those kids? And, and well, even especially maybe the older guys are in the close to the ends of their careers, like to, 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 to live what they've lived through so far this year with the potential that like, Hey, are they going to get to race? I mean, how would you approach that? I mean, I got it. That's, that's when you just got to go back into, you know, what I would think if I was racing and it's tough. I mean, um, it's not easy. They just got to, you know, be patient. They're, they're going to keep training, you know, doing all that stuff, but it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the air because just people don't know. Um, you know, a lot of the manufacturer, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty right now and it sucks, you know, but, um, you know, like I said, hopefully everybody can get back doing something. I think the world championship racing is going to be tough this year to, to have it just with, you know, the risk of what's going on and, and just all the everything, you know, with Moto America, I think there, there's definitely a possibility that, that things can, you know, get kicked on again and, and, uh, finish some races this year or get the, get some races in. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's just nobody. The problem is, is nobody, you know, unless you're over 90, 95 years old, nobody's seen anything like this ever. So it's just, um, you know, everybody kind of has to come together right now and, and, um, just be patient and just know that, you know, the next few two months to six months or whatever, it's more trying to get back to, you know, next year of normalcy and, and, uh, you know, try to bounce this, but for a rider, it's, it's tough right now, you know, cause you're so focused, you're wanting to go, you're already ready for the start of the season. Some riders, you know, got hurt. So it's going to work into their favor. Some people might be retiring, i.e. Rossi, you don't know. And it's just, it throws a lot of stuff, you know, up on what's going to happen next year or the end of this year. So I guess we just got to wait, wait a little bit longer to find out. 
Yeah, I mean, you live and die by a calendar when you do this, and suddenly the calendar doesn't mean anything anymore. What I've got a fan question here for you. Um, is there a rider that you wished you could have raced against that you didn't get the chance to? Is there any yeah, one guy that stands out? I'm sorry? Bayless. Bayless. Oh, nice. That would <laughs> yeah, surprise some people, I think. No, I mean, it, just the way that, you know, the way that I, I rode and, you know, the way that I could see he rode. It would be, you know, it would be clean, but it would be, it'd be everything. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's just, you know, I can tell that's how we both rode. And um, I'd love, you know, he retired right before I got there. And I know he was watching, you know, what I was doing that year. And at Phillip Island, when he handed me the Super Bowl trophy, and, and I know he was wanting to be in those leathers. And I just wish that he, he would have stayed, you know, another year because, man, it would have, um, it would have been fun. It would have been really good. So that's, that's the one person that, yeah, I would have, I would have really liked to race for sure. Um, there's a lot of people that I would have loved to, to be able to race against, but he's definitely when, you know, cause it was so close to my prime and he was still at the top of his game and, and yeah, would have, would have liked it. Yeah, it would have been fun. <laughs> ben, I, I, uh, when we had John Ulrich on a couple weeks ago, I asked him a question that re- the answer was about probably 45 minutes long. So uh, this question I'm going to ask you, don't, listen, don't be, don't be afraid if you, it takes you this long to answer it. But it's a question that I have that, you know, it might seem like a dumb question to you because you think that people know this. But I see from fans, people don't really quite grasp the physiology of what happened with you, your shoulder, your shoulders. Can you kind of explain why you're not still racing so people get that? Yeah, so, I mean, my right shoulder is just, it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's non-existent, but I mean, I've, I've had seven surgeries, you know, into that one shoulder. And it's just uh, basically the, the soft tissue that's inside the joint. Um, just, there's not much left in there, you know, so I just, I don't have much stability inside my joint. And, um, you know, it was one of those things, there was one surgery that I could have done to maybe try, um, to fix it, but it was also a surgery that if it went wrong, it would have been extremely painful and had to, you know, have another surgery and all that stuff. And at that point, you know, I was going to be racing for another, you know, three years or something like that. And it was just, it was bad. You know, it just got to the point where talking with the doctor, he said, it's, it is unsafe for you to be out there. And I was like, a hundred percent. I mean, right now. Yeah. I mean, there's just, I can't, can't hold on to anything. And I remember there was, I was at Magello in 2013 and the chicane that goes back to the final corner to left, right. And I came out of that right hander and I had a nice slide going, nothing, nothing major at all. But when I got to the paint that had more grip, the thing hooked up and it kind of twisted itself into some knots, nothing bad at all. Um, still wide open. I'd never even say anything about it or not even a TV commentator really. But when the front tire set down, the thing kind of snapped and it pulled my shoulder out and I could not let off the throttle. And I missed my braking zone by, you know, probably 50 meters. And it was enough where I could still slow it down to get into the gravel trip and not, you know, hit the wall that was there. But in saying that, if that would have happened in the first three laps of the race, I would have collected two to three people at 160 miles an hour, you know? So that was when, that was when I knew, you know, I was in trouble and I kept trying, you know, then I I pulled out of that weekend, did more rehab, 
came back to Indy. Obviously that happened and it was just, you know, it was a mess, man. And it was, it sucks because, you know, most of my career, I didn't really have a lot of crashes in the names AMA Superbike. It was like two crashes a year, not many injuries, but no, just really unfortunate with my shoulder. Um, and once anybody knows that, you know, if you've done, I, I've, I've my GP race that I won, I won with a broken tailbone. I'd broken it in the Silverstone crash two weeks before that. And, you know, I raced with broken hands and AMA. And it's one of those things where you can certain types of injuries, a hundred percent, you can man up through it and it's just pain. But when you're fighting a, a big joint like that, that's not stable and your shoulders are pretty much your most important, you know, power joint on bikes when it comes to left to right through chicanes or holding yourself up, you know, two G's under braking when you're going 210 miles an hour, that's your biggest weak link on a motorcycle, you know, so that was it. And, um, you know, I, I just, it, it sucks sometimes, but we had a lot of good, good things happen in racing, you know, and I've got a great family now and things are nice, but it, it cut it a couple years short and I wish it would have, wish I could have retired in a better way, but you know, that's, it's, it's not perfect for everybody. And, and that's the way it is. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mean to belabor the bad, bad stuff on that. I just, it seems like sometimes people don't still quite understand it, but you know, we saw it happen with Neil Hodgson with uh, Eric Bostrom, you know, when it gets the show, you have a situation with a shoulder with what you're dealing with braking and things like that on the bike. And even the pulling G's from acceleration, it's, it's obviously hard on that joint. Yeah. Um, so with, with, with that in mind, the next question I have, and this is actually from a fan and I, and it's a good one. I, I would ask this one too myself. But would you ever consider running a racing team? I know you've got elbows racing for bicycles, but would you have a road racing team, like a Moto America team? Uh, you know, I wouldn't be against it, no. Um, it would have to be, you know, it'd have to be the right way, and I'd have to be able to, you know, not have obviously, you know, full control, but I'm only going to do stuff if it can be done the right way in my eyes um, when it comes to, you know, mechanics and um, how the team's set up and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, it wouldn't be something that I would say no to. Um, but, but I'm just the type that when I get into something, I'm gonna, it's going to be 110% or I'm not going to mess with it. You know, so, um, if it was something where, you know, Tom came in and he was kind of, you know, as in some of the crew chief for the team and, and overseeing that stuff and I could handpick some of the guys, then yeah, because I do believe when it comes to that stuff, there, there's definitely a lot of the, the, the intricate number stuff that I don't know, but there's a lot of stuff I feel that, you know, I know, um, from, from racing or just how, what needs to be set up to give you the tools to win. Um, for sure. So, I mean, it's something that I'd never say no to, but you know, the opportunity hasn't happened. I haven't really, you know, looked for it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, if it, like I said, if it was the right way and, um, all that, you know, I definitely wouldn't be against it. You know, we there are a lot of lot of former riders in the paddock, obviously, in in all all levels of the sport, and we see this a lot with. Uh, and I always wonder the success that they have as a member of a team, whether it's a crew chief or whatever. Um, do they feel the same level of satisfaction and happiness being on the team as as being the rider? Do you think if you owned a team? Would you would you get as much satisfaction out of seeing your rider win a races or a championship as you did when you did it yourself? Yeah, I, th I think that is possible, actually. Um, you know, just because I've, I've I've just helped, you know, a few people, you know, 
along the way. And when I see, you know, what they do with it, um, no, it's a, it's a great feeling. So, I mean, if it's something that, yeah, you're kind of a little bit responsible for and you're trying to find that way, I mean, it, it might not be quite as much as, you know, that, that win or that last lap pass and all that stuff, but it's damn close, you know, and you can see it with Hopkins. And I mean, I can just, with talking with him, I can tell, you know, how, how fired up he is and, and just working with Garrett, you know, again, we're not working every day together, but for, you know, a good month, we were talking for four times a day, you know, when we were trying to make all this happen and, and all that. And when I saw it actually happen and, you know, I felt like I was kind of one of the, one of the parts that was able to get it, you know, there, at least get everybody to the same table and figure it out as quick as possible. It was a huge, you know, satisfaction, but, you know, in the same time I told him like, Hey, I don't want anything. I said, you can remember me. That's fine. But, you know, I said, I don't want, I don't want anything. I don't want to, you know, a, a thank you. That's cool. But, you know, I, that's it. And, uh, I just told him, this is how I would do it. This is the approach I would have. And if I was hiring a manager, this is who I would hire, which he did. And, you know, just kind of got him, you know, uh, his surroundings as good as I could you know, for him. And he's, you know, HJC helmets and A-Star leathers and a Yamaha. And it, it looks pretty similar to, to 09. So we'll just see, you know, and I know it's it's different expectations, but, you know, I'm looking forward to it and, and uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. You know, if they had a normal season, I said this year, I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say he's going to go win five or six races. But if you told me that he's going to win a race or two, you know, in his first year, I mean, I'd believe it. So, hmm. um so yeah, you know, there's a, there's some good satisfaction with doing that stuff, no doubt. Well, we can close this out with uh, with one last question. It's some of it you've probably already answered a little bit, but one of our uh, one of our fans says if you could give one on track and one off track piece of advice to Garrett Gerloff for his first season, what would they be? Uh, you know, just off track. I just, you know, be a, be as aware as possible, you know, do your, do your diligence when it comes to, you know, working with the guys and, and, uh, you know, being a part of it, um, and just learning, you know, I mean, just kind of trying to be a sponge right now. And then when it's on track, just know, you know, every time you leave pit lane, you're there, you know, you might not be Johnny Ray yet, but you're, you're there, you've arrived. You're just, you know, when it comes to talent, you're as good as anybody on that. But there can be guys that have certain situations like Johnny Ray. Like, I feel like he had a he's built, you know, his his surroundings kind of like how I did when I was racing. And he'll be tough to beat. But, you know, when you're there and you're rolling out on the track and that's what I'd be saying if I was sitting next to him, I was like, dude, congratulations. You know, you're here. You're you're <laughs> you know, now it's kind of your your chance and and uh, your next step. So that's that's what I would tell him, you know always know that you belong there and your, you know, your, your day's coming. So. All right. Well, uh, we can, we can end it on that note and, and let's all hope that uh, Garrett listens to you and he, he's a pretty good listener. So let's hope that he not only listens to you, but has some good fortune and, and sort of follows a bit in your, in your footsteps. We're all hoping that he does and, and we all think he can. So. I hope so. As long he's, as he thinks he can, and and I think he does, I think he's on the right path, and uh, and he'll be on his way. Yeah, no, I mean the kids. He's got the talent. He's got the mentality. He's got the um, 
you know, that, that fan favorite, you know, thing about him. That was, like I said, that was something I didn't have. And he's, he's got, he can be out of the box and wild and smiling and yelling and happy. And, and not that I wasn't happy, but I'm just, you know, I'm stoked to see, you know, him in that way and with the talent that he's got, because we need it, you know, America needs it and uh, racing needs it. And, you know, I think that he can, I think he can make a big impact as long as, you know, everything just works smooth with him for a couple of years and he can, you know, find his rhythm and, and, uh, you know, get there. I think I, I expect big things from him just, you know, not quite the first year, but yeah, I mean, I see him winning a world championship, you know, at some point, hope so. One other quick memory, Sean, I'm not sure there was ever more uncomfortable press conferences than Matt and Ben and whoever got third <laughs> for a couple of those years. But uh, I don't know who was more uncomfortable, Ben or the journalist. But uh, it was it, there was times when it was it, it was touch and go, and and people were scared to uh, raise their hand and, and ask a question. So, but anyway, um, Ben, it was it was nice chatting with you again. It's been too long, and uh, stay safe with your family and stuff, and uh, and we'll get through this this little hiccup in our lives and, and move forward. And also, you know, thanks for all the help you've given Garrett and I'm sure you'll continue to help him and we'll see where that goes. And hopefully we can all start racing again here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully summertime or, you know, right around then it'd be awesome to see <laughs> y'all be able to get back to racing and, and uh, see what goes on this year. So let's cross our fingers. All right. We hope we see you at a Moto America race this year. Yep. For sure. Yeah, we do, Ben. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for being on. Yep, no problem. Okay, guys, thank you. Yep. Yeah, we do, Ben. Thanks so much. Yeah.